Greetings. Thank you all for returning to this week's new study episode titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 3. I am Pastor John, welcoming our returning global audience of unchurched, self-study people, as well as those who are part of a church. For anyone looking for greater depths in God's Word with a stronger personal study, we also extend a warm welcome to all our new listeners here for the first time. Thank you all for listening. May you all be blessed of God. With the recent purchase of Twitter, new plans for its direction and purpose seem to be to make it competing for Facebook. With that present thinking and one large U.S. company that has already left Twitter, we also will be leaving Twitter. After part four of this study series, we will leave the Friday before we post our new episode in our Thanksgiving podcast. We apologize for any issues this creates. We are actively looking for another platform. We have found several, but we remain uncommitted at present. I will update you as this fluid situation changes. Thank you for your patience. God bless you all. Last week, we continued our new series in Philemon titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 2, posted on October 30th. We first noticed that the letter we know as Philemon in our Bibles was written by both Paul and Timothy. It was chiefly sent to Philemon, while also sent to Apphia, their sister, Archippus, their fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in Philemon's house. We learn of Apphia, the mistress of the family, that Onesimus had dwelt with, but now had run from, even though Onesimus comes later in this passage. We were also cautioned that the ministers of God should reckon beforehand upon a toilsome and troublesome life. If they resolve to be faithful, the devil will plant all his artillery against them. We learned further, in this older and male-centric society and culture that a wife being given to any man of God is an assistant and fellow helper in government. Her subordinate authority given to her by God is to be owned and acknowledged. For further biblical information of women, read Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. There, too, a woman is found as a very capable person. Lastly, Burkitt's expository notes told us, St. Paul prays that Philemon's faith and love might be made manifest to the effectual for producing all sorts of good fruits in him and by him, that the communication of his faith may become effectual. Are we anything like Paul was when we pray? To find out more, listen to our previous episode titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 2. Welcome to our third examination of the Book of Philemon. I personally have never heard any examinations of this book and no cross-references ever taken from this book, which begs the question, why? 
Scripture reads. So, although I have quite a lot of confidence in Christ and could command you to do what is proper, I would rather appeal to you on the basis of love. I, all, an old man, and even now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus, I am appealing to you concerning my child, whose spiritual father I have become during my imprisonment, that is, Onesimus, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. However, without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. Notice how Paul addresses the issue here with Philemon. However, Without your consent, I did not want to do anything, so that your good deed would not be out of compulsion, but from your own willingness. If one does a good deed motivated by compulsion, or some form of must-do, it is not done from one's own willingness to do it. How many times has someone, today, been counseled to do something by another brother or sister with a must-do-it-now form of compulsion? Here, where I live, I have seen this as a common way of correcting people in more cases where such a demand is not warranted, the end result being that the current issue at hand does not get resolved, and it only deepens in its severity, making the need for resolution only greater and many times worse, requiring a more complex resolution. The reason being, as I said, the original problem has now been made more severe than it originally was. The ministering people in such a case are the one or ones at fault in this particular type of issue. Regardless of any issue being mild or severe, how would it get resolved if Paul's means of addressing Philemon was used by us, today, with others we counseled and or correct today? I think the answer to that question is quite clear. So, starting at the top of that passage, let us see what else the book of Philemon has for us today. Observe here the marvelous condescending humility of our apostle in these expressions as an apostle he was the highest ruler and officer in the church of God and had the fullest authority and power that a person could have upon earth to command, require, and enjoin Philemon to the practice of his duty. But he tells him, though he might be bold to enjoin, yet he rather chose to beseech. For love's sake I rather beseech thee. Learn hence that church rulers and governors, although they have a commanding power and authority, which upon occasion 
they may and must make use of, yet they should choose much rather in love to entreat, hoping that will work more kindly and effectually upon the minds of persons. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. If you are a leader in some way in the present-day church, learn from William Burkett's statement. It is not for one to immediately address another with commanding power and authority for something that would be better corrected by more subtle means as Paul speaks to Philemon. Issues that involve such things as robbery and harm to another person do demand commanding power and authority to arrest such behaviors and attitudes immediately. Not all issues that people have are this serious. Yet, I have seen brothers and sisters land on someone hard when a good listening ear and appropriate comments and suggestions would work much better with no harm to the already injured person. They may struggle further, but struggle as they get into a better place they want to be. Some may see clearly their path of correction and take it to that better place more quickly. That is just how we are all different. The point, though, is, in either way of resolve, people are not hurt. They ascend to a better place in their life because they were comforted and encouraged instead of being treated hard and even harshly. Further, observe the argument St. Paul uses as a ground of entreaty. I, Paul, desire and beseech thee. I, Paul, the aged. I, Paul, a prisoner. Note. He urges his years as an argument for granting his request, that he was aged, and an aged minister of Christ. If honor be due to an aged person walking in the ways of righteousness, much more is it so to an aged minister, gray-haired, in the service of Christ, and having faithfully discharged his duty there. He also urges his sufferings as well as his years. I, Paul, a prisoner of Jesus Christ, the sufferings of Christ's ministers in the cause of God should by no means lessen and diminish, but rather augment and increase that reverence, regard, and respect which is deservedly due and payable unto them. Observe further. The person whom he thus intercedes with affection for, Onesimus, whom he calls his son, begotten in his bonds, that is, his spiritual son, converted to Christianity by his ministry when he was in prison. Where note that endearing love and that fervent affection which the ministers of Christ bear to their converts, to such as they have gained unto Christ, it equals, nay, perhaps exceeds, the natural affections of parents towards their own children. Note also who they are that best deserve the name of fathers in the church. Truly, those who, 
have begot most spiritual children unto God, such as can say, Lord, here I am, and the children which you have given me. Nevertheless, for our comfort, God will, at the reckoning day, account and treat such as spiritual fathers who have been faithful, though unsuccessful, in the work of Christ, because they have cast forth the prolific seed of the gospel. Therefore, the cause of sterility and spiritual harshness cannot be imputed to them, they having exerted and put forth their best endeavors. The highest honor which God confers upon his faithful ministers, the scripture allows them, though but instruments, what is properly attributed to God himself, namely, to beget spiritual children. This is God's work. Of his own will begat he us. God allows that to be, in an inferior sense, attributed to the ministry, which is strictly applicable only to himself. Observe further how the apostle wisely answers the objections which Philemon might make against his request of receiving Onesimus, that he had been vile, a fugitive, a thief, what not? St. Paul implicitly owns all that, yet with a softening distinction, he was unprofitable in times past, but now profits both you and me. Now, St. Paul occupying and answering this objection before Philemon made it shows how hard it is for the best of men to forgive and forget injuries done unto them, especially by their relations, those in their own families, whether children or servants. Lastly, the character given of Onesimus before conversion, he was unprofitable. Lord, what an useless, unprofitable creature is an unsanctified and unconverted sinner, unprofitable to God, unprofitable to others, unprofitable to his own soul. But by conversion, he becomes universally useful and profitable to all about him, but especially to himself. Others may have the benefit of our estate, our parts and gifts, but we ourselves shall have the chief benefit, comfort, and advantage of our own grace. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Birkin. That was quite a bit of information. There are a few places of focus, though, I need to stress for us in our modern-day life. Birkin first told us, the sufferings of Christ's ministers in the cause of God should by no means lessen and diminish, but rather augment and increase that reverence, regard, and respect which is deservedly due and payable unto them. This statement 
is something many here in America need to learn, most notably the sufferings of Christ's ministers in the cause of God should by no means lessen and diminish, but rather augment and increase that reverence, regard, and respect. Do you have reverence, regard, and respect for your leaders in your church? Do you also have reverence, regard, and respect for your brothers and sisters in your church? If not, the question is, why not? In my particular case, the answer to both these questions, many times, has been no. It happens all too frequently here in my part of the world. Those who do this frequently are in charge and bear authoritative power, which enables them to refuse any instruction when they are not correct. They tell everyone else that they need to correct their own behaviors before they will consider that person any further. Is it any wonder there is a large unchurched community in America? This is quite contrary to what we are learning here in the book of Philemon. Burkett tells us further that endearing love and that fervent affection which the ministers of Christ bear to their converts to such as they have gained unto Christ, it equals, nay, perhaps exceeds, the natural affections of parents towards their own children. While this statement uses the analogy of parents and children, it does convey the deep relationship that should exist between ministers of Christ, you and me, who are saved in Christ, are ministers of sorts, and then those who are ordained as ministers, and our converts. Meaning, the people we have brought to Christ. Yet, here in America, I have seen people unwilling to share even a common friendship with those they convert to Christ, while bragging about the number of people they have brought to salvation. We need to care more about the people we convert to Christ rather than the number of notches in our belt they represent. It is not a numbers game at all. When we convert another person to Christ, they should be seen as an adopted child to us. In fact, it should quite possibly exceed the natural affections of parents towards their own children. The reason being, for our comfort, God will, at the reckoning day, account and treat such as spiritual fathers who have been faithful, though unsuccessful, in the work of Christ, because they have cast forth the prolific seed of the gospel. Therefore, the cause of sterility and spiritual barrenness cannot be imputed to them, they having exerted and put forth their best endeavors. This speaks directly to the times we live in, written so many years ago and yet incredibly so relevant to us today. The, quote, reckoning day, end quote, 
is the Bema Seat Judgment, found in the book of Revelation. That is not a seat of judgment in the same respect as in final judgment, where some will be cast into hell and some will enter heaven. It is a place where a child of God is rewarded for the good works they have done. Wouldn't it be a bad day at the Bema Seat Judgment if there was nothing good in us to be found at all? The only good thing being we are saved in Christ. The reward we receive is from the good things, the good works, we willfully do in this life. Those things and works will be brought to light at the Bema Seat Judgment. I sincerely hope on that day you are found with many reasons for reward. Quoting the context rather than the specific verse, we read further. I am appealing to you concerning my child, whose spiritual father I have become during my imprisonment, that is, Onesimus, who was formerly useless to you, but is now useful to you and me. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. I wanted to keep him so that he could serve me in your place during my imprisonment for the sake of the gospel. From Philemon, verses 10 through 13. Here are several arguments used by our apostle why Philemon should receive Onesimus into his service again. Because St. Paul had sent him for that end a long and tedious journey from Rome to Colosse, and because he came with the apostles' commendary letters and in his name. We are not to easily reject those that come to us countenanced and encouraged with the commendations of the reverend and faithful ministers of God. In the close of the first argument, at the foot of the twelfth verse, observe the endearing title he gives Onesimus. He calls him his very own heart. Receive him that is my very own heart. O Lord, certainly there is no stronger love, no more endearing and endeared affection between any relations upon earth than between the ministers of the gospel and such of their beloved people whom they have been happily instrumental to beget unto thyself. How inexpressibly dear is the soul of a poor servant to a faithful minister of Christ, and how lovely when once converted. Again, another argument is this. St. Paul sends him, because he was another's servant, even Philemon his friend, and being very serviceable to the apostle. He would have gladly detained him, but could not satisfy himself to do it without Philemon's consent. Masters have such a right to their servants and such a right unto their service that they are not to be disposed of without their own consent. St. Paul, though he wanted, yet would not detain Onesimus, though a fugitive servant, 
without Philemon's knowledge. Christian religion is no destroyer, but an establisher of civil right. Onesimus, conversion to Christianity, gave him no manumission, meaning the act of freeing or state of being freed from slavery and liberty from Philemon's service, and accordingly our apostle remits and sends him back to his old master Philemon. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Perkett. Remember, in the days of Paul and Philemon, slavery was very much how this part of the world lived and governed society of that day. So, what can we learn? We should first note this portion of commentary. Onesimus' conversion to Christianity gave him no state of being freed from slavery and liberty from Philemon's service, and accordingly our apostle remits and sends him back to his old master Philemon. Let us take a quick look at what Exodus chapter 21 verses 1 through 6 tells us of a bond servant. This is far more likely the case of where Onesimus was in this relationship. Verses 5 and 6 are our focal point. The passage reads, These are the decisions that you will set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he will go out free without paying anything. If he came in by himself, he will go out by himself. If he had a wife when he came in, then his wife will go out with him. If his master gave him a wife, and she bore sons and daughters, the wife and the children will belong to her master, and he will go out by himself. Now, verses 5 through 6. But if the servant should declare, I love my master, my wife, and my children. I will not go out free. Then his master must bring him to the judges, and he will bring him to the door or the doorpost, and his master will pierce his ear with an awl, and he shall serve him forever. This idea of the servant or bond servant has been used in years past as a lesson and means of endearing ourselves to Christ. It has served in prior teachings as the reasoning for serving Christ as a slave. Christ being our master and we being the bond servant or slave or servant. Social change and incorrect teaching has done much harm to the lesson which can be gleaned from with respect to learning just how deep our relationship with our Savior should be. How we would perceive our indentured degree of service to our Master, who is Jesus Christ and even our Father God. Simply put, if someone saved you from being hit by a moving car, bus, or truck, just how indentured would you be to them 
as nothing more than a means of thanks. Therein is the same motivations for us to be indentured to Jesus Christ for saving us from eternal damnation in hell. That there is where the analogy goes. As one would tell their story of how they were saved from a moving vehicle, we who are saved by Christ should also tell of our salvation, which is the result of Jesus saving us from the damnation of hell and the result of sin. Notice verse 12 of the book of Philemon. I have sent him, who is my very heart, back to you. Because St. Paul had sent him for that end a long and tedious journey from Rome to Colossus, and because he came with the apostles' commending letters, and in his name, we are not easily to reject those that come to us countenanced and encouraged with the commendations of the reverend and faithful ministers of God. In the close of the first argument, at the foot of the twelfth verse, notice the endearing title he gives Onesimus. He calls him his own heart. Receive him that is my own heart. O Lord, certainly there is no stronger love, nor more endearing and endeared affection between any relations upon earth than between the ministers of the gospel and such of their beloved people whom they have been happily instrumental to beget unto thyself. How inexpressibly dear is the soul of a poor servant to a faithful minister of Christ, and how lovely when once converted. From Expository Notes with Practical Observations on the New Testament by William Burkett. In closing, note two things. One, we are not easily to reject those that come to us countenanced and encouraged with the commendations of the reverend and faithful ministers of God. Two, O Lord, certainly there is no stronger love nor more endearing and endeared affection between any relations upon earth than between the ministers of the gospel and such of their beloved people whom they have been happily instrumental to beget unto thyself. Next week, we will continue with our final examination of Philemon. Like Titus, it is a short, single chapter, 25 verses long. We will see what else we can learn from the book of Philemon. Join us next week for our next episode titled, The Book of Philemon, Part 4. Play or download our episodes from one of our podcast hosts, or follow direct links to these platforms on our website under the podcast menu item. Details follow. This study podcast is a wholly self-funded outreach presented by the Church of the Unchurched. Currently, an all-electronic Boston-based outreach uniting the community of lost, searching, lonely, and forgotten in Christ. 
We greatly appreciate serving our international audience. God bless you all. If you are visiting for the first time, welcome and God bless you. We look forward to the return of all our faithful listeners and new listeners. Please share our podcast with family, friends, and others you believe would find it a blessing. Thank you all so much. God bless you all. If you are unsaved, we truly hope you find God as well as receiving Him as Lord and Savior of your life. Please find a short link to our episode titled, How to Be Saved, at the bottom of any episode description. To learn more about us and who we are, give our episode titled, Introduction, About Us, Who We Are, a listen. In that episode, you will learn more about us, who we are reaching out to, our mission, vision, ministry, and more. Again, a short link to this episode is found at the bottom of any episode description. If you go to our internet homepage, under the podcast menu item, you can find many popular podcast platforms we are found on. We are located at this internet address, unchurched.site123.me. At present, we are located on a growing number of podcast sites. So, you should be able to find us on a platform you like. We refresh all our feeds with every weekly episode upload on Sundays. These sites update our feed within 24 hours of our refresh. Now, may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father who loved us and by grace gave us eternal comfort and good hope encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good thing you do or say. Until next week, this is Pastor John for the Church of the Unchurched. Thank you.